Last week, we considered the reality and presence of false teachers. We found that false teachers even reject the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another common denominator with false teachers and prophets is to deny a future judgment against wrongdoing. So even in our day, it is very prevalent even among evangelicals to deny the reality of hell and the coming judgment. It is argued that God's love is incompatible with the idea of judgment. Further, they assert that God would not and even could not judge mankind to an eternal hell. For them, such a position is unthinkable. Nevertheless, regardless of their denials, false teachers are going to experience the very judgment that they deny. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 tells us, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And now these words. Bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Swift in the sense of a sudden or unexpected judgment. An anticipated end as they stand before the judgment seat of God. Tells us in verse 2 that many will follow their sensuality. And because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with falseless words. And then again, these words, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The day of judgment is coming. We can be assured that judgment awaits the ungodly, and the righteous will experience deliverance. So we ask ourselves, how can we be so sure the judgment will await the ungodly and the righteous will experience deliverance. Answer, it is the informing theology of the Old Testament. The informing theology of the Old Testament. We have many examples in the Old Testament of God judging the ungodly and delivering the righteous, which are a foreshadow of the ultimate and final judgment that is to come. So our theme this morning is a consideration of the lessons to be learned from God's previous judgments and deliverances. The lessons that we are to be learned from God's previous judgments and deliverances. The first lesson to be learned is that God will not relent of judgment due to one's position. God will not relent of judgment due to one's position. This lesson is derived from God's judgment of the angels who had sinned. God did not relent of his judgment of the angels despite their exalted position. God did not refrain from judging the angels when they rebelled against him. Verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, and we find that this word spared is a central word in this passage as it is repeated again. The key word is spare. God did not relent or refrain from judging the angels who had sinned in rebelling against God. That is, 
God's love, God's mercy, and God's pity did not keep him from passing judgment upon the angels. Those two ideas are not incompatible or even inconsistent with each other. God does not relent of judgment to come. We can be assured that judgment awaits the ungodly because God did not refrain from judging the angels when they sin, despite their exalted position. It tells us in verse 4, for if God did not spare angels, and the emphasis is upon the object of his judgment, that is angels themselves are going to be judged. The angels are glorious, magnificent, privileged, and powerful creatures. The angels are far superior to that of human beings. In Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. Our text asserts that the angels are of a superior power to that of false teachers. Look at verse 11. Whereas angels, and now here is the description of these angelic beings, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, greater in might and power, the comparison is to that of the false teachers. The false teachers claim to have power, the false teachers claim to have might, but as you compare the false teachers with the, the angels, in reality, there's no comparison at all. The angels are far greater in power, in position, and in authority than any human being. The point of the comparison is that regardless of how lofty, powerful, or authoritative one's position, one will not escape God's judgment. The book of Revelation makes it abundantly clear that people of all social political, and economic classes will experience God's judgment. No one will be spared as a result of their position. Listen to the words of Revelation chapter 6, verse 15, how all-inclusive the terminology is and emphasizes people of authority and position and powers. Starting at Revelation 6.15, it reads, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals. So we're, we're covering kings, people of political position. We're talking about great ones, people of authority, people of renown. Now it moves to generals, people who are over armies, who have great military strength and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of that wrath has come. Who can stand? End quote. 
And the answer is no one. No one. Not if you're a king, not if you're a rich man, not if you're powerful, not if you're a general. No one is going to be able to stand in the time of judgment. Later in the book of Revelation, we read in Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. It's unfortunate that quite a common occurrence in our judicial system, as the rich, the powerful, and the famous are able to escape judgment. We have a statement in the United States that no one is above the law. But we all know that people who have authority, people who have power, people who have might, people who have political strength, get away with incredible things. And yes, they do escape judgment. But don't confuse the judgment of mankind with the judgment of God. No one is going to be spared because of their position, because of their political authority, because they are a general, because they are rich, because they are mighty, because they are renowned. God judged even the angels. God has reserved the angels for future judgment. Their destiny is certain. God has announced and reserved the fallen angels to judgment. Verse 4. For God, if, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, their judgment is going to be, their judgment has been declared. Their destiny is assured. Their judgment is going to be completed on the day of God's judgment. Verse 4, for if God did not spare angels when they had sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, and now these words, to be kept until the judgment. There's going to be a judgment day in which all that God has declared is going to come to pass. So too, there is a day of judgment coming upon all those who have not placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 3.36, it says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. A person who has never accepted Jesus as their Savior, the Scripture says God's wrath abides on that person. That person stands in a place of condemnation. Now that wrath and that condemnation has not yet been poured out. But it has been declared. It has been revealed. And it is certain. And there is one day in which judgment actually comes to pass. And that wrath is indeed poured out and 
experienced. Lesson number two. There's no safety in numbers. God will not relent of judgment due to the fact that there are so many who will experience judgment. This lesson is taken from God's judgment upon the whole earth in the time of Noah. We can be assured that judgment awaits the ungodly because God did not refrain judging in ancient times despite the number of those being judged. Again, the word spare is key. God did not spare, that is, he did not relent. He did not refrain from judgment, verse 5. If he did not spare his mercy, his love, his compassion, did not keep God from bringing judgment in the time of Noah. There is the contrast to the erroneous teaching of our day that since God is a God of love, he cannot and will not condemn. But it says, he did not spare the ancient world. The ancient world is referring to the judgment that came in the time of Noah. Where it says in verse 5, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserve Noah. The judgment that came upon the ancient world was in the form of a flood. And that flood covered the entirety of the earth. Tells us in verse 5 that Noah, a herald of righteousness, was seven others when he brought a flood. What is so striking in this example is the large numbers of people who were destroyed and the few who were spared. The large number of people who were destroyed is almost incalculable. It tells us in verse 5, he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. This flood encompassed the entire earth. One can only wonder how many people were alive at that time. Think of a flood that covers the entire earth. Only eight people were spared. Notice verse 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others. Preserved Noah with seven others. That is, again, a total of only eight people out of all those who were on the face of the earth. That's, that's rather shocking. That's rather shocking. Or we are not used to those kinds of judgments. That's not a part of our everyday experience. We're used to people grading on a curve. We grow accustomed to the idea that, you know, a teacher is not going to fail the whole class. <laughs> that there's going to be some leeway so that the majority are somehow going to make it through. But that's not the case with God's judgment. And that is revealed time and time and time again in the scriptures. God does not grade on a curve. 
God will not spare, even though the unrighteous are the vast majority. And the scripture is consistent with teaching that the unrighteous are the majority. Listen to Matthew 7, 13 afresh. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. But even though the many are going to be destroyed, and even though the few are going to be delivered, so it comes to pass. So it will happen. The majority will be lost. There is no comfort in numbers. Don't take any comfort in the polls that will tell you that the majority, even in Christian circles, that the majority view is there is no eternal hell. It doesn't matter what the majority says. It matters what the word says. And the word teaches an eternal hell, judgment, and condemnation. What's also included in this illustration is that Noah was a, a preacher of righteousness. What is verse 5? If he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald, a proclaimer of righteousness. Noah spoke of the coming judgment, but the people did not heed his warnings and they took him as a fool and mocked that which he declared. Application have we heeded the warnings of future judgment? We have the good news of the gospel, which teaches us how we can be righteous. In Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The scripture says that God has revealed from heaven the fact that those who are unrighteous are going to experience the wrath of God. How does one become righteous? Romans says, through faith, through faith, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not saved or made righteous by our good deeds, but as a result of our faith in Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sinfulness and provided the righteousness that we did not possess. 
Again, further in Romans, Romans chapter 4, verse 3 and following, it says, For what say is the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was righteous because he believed in God. He believed in his word. He trusted in God's promise. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteous. The scripture teaches that all have sinned and all come short to the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. There is no one who is righteous in their own positional lifestyle. One only can become righteous through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Such people are counted as righteous. Going further in the book of Romans, Paul stresses the need for his fellow Jewish people to trust in the Lord Jesus as their means of righteousness. Starting at Romans 10.1, it reads, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is his fellow Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, being ignorant of the righteousness of God, that includes a number of ideas, being ignorant, ignorant of how righteous God really is, how holy he is, being ignorant of his righteous standard, and being ignorant of the righteousness that he requires, and being ignorant of the righteousness that he provides, or being ignorant of the righteousness of God, and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Meaning that when you place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that your righteousness comes not from yourself, it comes from Christ. It is only that righteousness that's acceptable. It's only that righteousness which meets the standard of God. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he preached to a people who did not heed and do not accept the warning. There are many today who have heard the gospel, who know the gospel, and yet have not heeded the warning, have not believed, have not repented, have not trusted in Christ. The third lesson that we learn is that God will not refrain from judgment, even do its Severity. God will not refrain from judgment, even due its severity. We can be assured that judgment awaits the ungodly because God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah from judgment despite the total nature of their destruction. Here the emphasis is upon the severity of the judgment and its severity will not keep God from administering his judgment. Verse 6. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction. The severity was great. They 
found their city and all who were in it consumed. Not only were they consumed, but the city became extinct. It passed out of existence. It was a severe judgment. It was no light reprimand. It wasn't a slap on the wrist. This was a devastating, consequential judgment of God. The severity of the coming judgment is indescribable. As many of you know, I'm presently chairing a study committee that is writing a paper for the denomination on the reality of eternal conscious torment. There are times, as I sit at my desk and read what the scripture says, Weep. To think of so many who so stubbornly and rebelliously resist the gospel that they're going to have such a horrific end that has no end. Matthew chapter 13, verse 41 and following. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawlessness and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Application. The judgment of God on each of these groups is severe and serves as an example to demonstrate that the ungodly will indeed have a devastating judgment. Verse 5, verse 6. It, by turning the cities in Samata and Gomorrah to ashes to be condemned to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Ungodly, though, are not going to pass out of extinction. They are going to be punished forever and ever. The point is that there was no relent. And then I point to yet another example that's not in our text but again is very sobering for it's talking about an example, an example of judgment. And there are so many examples. These are just but three. There are many examples that could be used. Again in the book of Romans, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his son. It's the exact same word that's used repeatedly in our text. He did not spare the angels. He did not spare 
the world. He did not spare his son. You think of one of exalted position. You think of one who has power. You think of one who is beloved of God. And yet, God pour out his wrath on his son. But he did it out of love for us. He did it out of providing a way for us to escape that judgment. Jesus voluntarily took upon himself the wrath of God so that we could experience the love of God. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The crucifixion of Christ should answer the question for all as to whether or not a God of love would actually bring judgment upon a people and upon this earth. 2 Peter 2.5, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. If God did not spare his son, he is not going to spare anyone who has rejected and refused his son. He is not going to relent. He is not going to show mercy. He is going to pour out the wrath that is declared. So I bring words of comfort. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it means that you do not experience wrath, but you are transformed into an object of love, and you will know peace and contentment and joy and delight with God forever and ever. I bring a message of warning. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have no hope of an eternality with God, a life of joy and peace in heaven. You have a destination that the scripture speaks of as hell. I say that with no glee. But I do you no favor by denying the truth. I can tell you it is not so. And there are so many today that will tell you that it is not so. But people saying it is not so doesn't make it not so. I'm just telling you that's what the Bible says. But the Bible also says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If this morning you desire eternal life, you can have it. This morning, if you want to flee that judgment by recognizing your sin and having failed to bring your life under the authority of Jesus Christ, and you're ready to make that commitment to Christ this morning, you can be forgiven and you can be spared. Noah was a herald of righteousness. I implore anyone this morning, if you don't know Christ, receive him today.
as your Lord, as your Savior. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your great grace and and goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy and your compassion. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your truth to us. You have told us our end. You have also told us the way to avoid that dreadful destination. You have given us your truth. You have given your son to make a way for all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, you are a loving God. You are a merciful God. You are a God of compassion. But you also are a holy God. You are a righteous God. Lord, your word is true. So Lord, work in our midst. And if there is any here this day who has not yet accepted Jesus as their Savior, may this be that day. And right now, I just again ask if there is anyone here who has never trusted in Jesus as their Savior, and you desire to have that forgiveness of sins and to live for him, would you quickly raise your hand so that I can personally acknowledge it? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to do anything but I want to be praying for you privately. Anyone at all this morning who has never accepted Jesus as their Savior, and today is that day, would you quickly raise your hand? Our Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. It is, again, unfathomable to think that you would send your Son to die for us. Thank you for that, for that gift. Thank you for that acceptance through him. Oh, Lord, bring praise and honor and glory to your name and help us to be steadfast in proclaiming the truth of your word that there is a day of judgment coming. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.